Good morning. Wow, that was kind of weak, guys. Hey, that's better. How's it going? Man, man, oh man. Here we are again on another Sunday morning. Can you guys believe it? Like, the weeks just fly by. I can hardly, I don't know. Um, so we're in this series called Epic, the story of the Bible. And in this series, we've been talking about a lot of things, but one of the main things that we've been kind of focusing on is the main point of the Bible, which is on the screen. I should have made one of you guys guess what it was or told me what it was. I'm sure some of you have it memorized right now. Especially my life group, we had those actions. You guys remember that? Yeah. So uh, the main point of the Bible, God's plan to save the world through his son, Jesus Christ. So th this whole book, everything in it, is kind of pointing to this thing. God's plan to save the world through his son, Jesus Christ. Um, but something that we have to understand when we open up this Bible. So that's like the one main point of the whole entire book. But something that we have to understand is the context. Um, context, and we've been defining that as the circumstances that surround a setting or event. This is stuff we've been kind of um, reiterating every single week. And I was thinking about, like, like, Jack tore the book in half and saying, like, how can you understand, like, what one half of the book means? And I was kind of think, trying to think of a new way to talk about it. And what I was thinking was, like, you know when you're watching TV and you're, like, you're thumbing through channels and you get to a movie that's kind of already halfway done, but you've never seen it before, but you kind of want to watch it. So you start watching it halfway through, and you have, like, just no idea what's going on. That's what it's like when you're opening up the Bible with no context, without any idea of what's going on or where you're going. It's just like starting a movie halfway through, not knowing who the characters are, not really knowing what's happening. Like, you get to know the ending of the movie, but you have no idea really what's going on. So context is pretty important when we're, studying, under, when we're reading the Bible and trying to understand it. So the whole point of the series has been to try to give you guys a framework of thinking for when you open the Bible and when you get into it yourselves. So... We've been, read, we've been focusing on reading the Bible through this theme, through a theme, the kingdom of God, and we've been defining kingdom of God as God's people, God's place, and God's rule and blessing. So this is kind of the way we've, we've been looking at the Bible through this lens of God's people, God's place, God's rule and blessing. And Michael showed us this chart last week, but it had a few more things filled in at the top there. So what I wanted someone to do, I have a Milky Way up here. Everyone loves Milky Ways. So for the person that can fill in the phases of the kingdom that we've talked about so far, I will give them this Milky Way. But they've got to be able to do all of them up to where we're at today. So like the first four columns. Can anyone do it? Anyone besides Jack? Is Jack the only one? You know three of them? Who can do better than three? Can any, anyone know more than three? All right, Ellie, what are the three? So we're pretty close. The, you said the perfect kingdom and the promised kingdom. Okay, yeah, I'll give it to you. Good work, close enough. That was a terrible throw, I'm sorry. So what we've talked about so far, let's just spend some time looking at this chart. Because there's a lot of words up there, and it can get kind of confusing if we don't really uh, pay attention. So the first thing on there is the pattern of the kingdom right there, and that's Genesis 1 and 2. 
Um, that's when God created the world. God created man and Eve. So God's people at this point is Adam and Eve. They're the only people in the world. God's place, they're in Eden, the garden that God had provided for Adam and Eve to live in. And God's rule and blessing is God's word and God's authority. At this point in time, God is walking with them. Adam and Eve, they see God, and God speaks with them directly. So that's where we're at. Sin hasn't entered the world yet. It's a perfect place. Adam and Eve are living life in Eden. Man, that would be awesome. But then we get to the second phase, and that's the perish kingdom. Genesis 3, 1, 3 through 11, chapters 3 through 11. And the perish kingdom is when sin enters into the world. Adam and Eve eat the forbidden fruit, the, the fruit from the, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And all of a sudden they get this understanding of what sin is and what it means to disobey God. And they realize that they're naked and they clothe themselves and all this stuff happens. And what happens in this, this part is, where, who's God's people now? God no longer has a people because they've disobeyed him. They've fallen from him and they don't know how to relate with God anymore. God's place is nowhere. Adam and Eve have been banished from the Garden of Eden, and they're stuck just wandering the world without really any purpose or place. And God's rule and blessing, that's the sin and the curse. Sin has entered the world, and God cursed man and woman for different things, for, for disobeying him. So the parish kingdom's kind of a depressing place to be. There's not a lot of stuff going on. Um, but right after the parish kingdom, so we're in that second column right there, right after we finish getting through the parish kingdom comes the promised kingdom. I see hope. The word promise always kind of brings me hope. I get happy when I hear it. Um, in the promised kingdom, God has a specific people, the Israelites, the promised people, which are the Hebrews and then later become the Israelites. They don't start in Israel, so you can't call them Israelites in the beginning. Hebrews, Israelites, and Jews are all kind of referencing the same thing. I don't know if you guys knew that. It always kind of confused me when I was younger. So right now, the promised people, which will later become the Israelites, are God's chosen people. God chose this specific people group partly for where they're located and a lot of other reasons, a lot of reasons why we don't know. So who are God's people at this point in the promised kingdom? The promised people, pretty easy to remember. Um, God's place, the promised land. Also kind of really easy to remember. Promised kingdom, promised people, promised land. Where's the promised land? Well, that's Israel. That's the, the land that God will give to his people. You know, like the Israelites, they start in Egypt. You know, Pharaoh's kind of, he's got them under his command, whatever. They're Egypt slaves. And then um, the whole thing with Moses happens. And he's like, let my people go. And, and Pharaoh's like, no. And then it, finally, Pharaoh lets them go. They go across the Red Sea, then they kind of disobey God a little bit and wander around for 40 years. And finally, like Joshua enters into the promised land and like they get this place where it's called Israel. I'll show you it on a map later. Where is this a good place to be? So that's the promised land. God's rule and blessing, the promised nation under God. So these people, they're supposed to live the law that God has given them. The promised God's rule and blessing is the promised nation under God, where they're supposed to live in, as an example as the rest of them. So that is kind of the promised kingdom in a nutshell. I'm trying to go over some of this stuff really fast. So if you have questions or concerns, come talk to me or talk to your life group leader later on. Um, last week, oops, I went back. 
last week, Michael talked about the partial kingdom. Um, and that was like a thousand years of history. And we kind of put it into a nutshell. Where, who are God's people? They're still the Israelites, God's chosen people. Um, God's place is in Israel, but a lot of things kind of happen in this period of time where Israel, the Israelites, get taken out of the promised land and brought back and all this different stuff happens. Um, and then God's rule and blessing is the law and the king. So this is the point where um, the Hebrews, the Israelites, they now have like the Ten Commandments and all that stuff, and that's how they're supposed to relate with God. So as we're going through all these things, what we're kind of talking about is a different way that the people relate to God and kind of where they're at ge geographically, like on a map. So this week, we're talking about the prophesied kingdom, which eventually we'll get to our note cards and we'll make that T-chart, but I'm just kind of building the case for what we're talking about this morning. So the prophesied kingdom, this is something that always kind of interests me when I was younger. I was like, that's kind of cool. There's prophets in the Bible, and they can kind of like tell the future and stuff. So here's like, I don't know if you guys have ever heard of a wordle. Yeah, those things are sweet. So I took, I think this one was the major prophets. I made two of them, one with the major prophets and one with the minor prophets, just because it was so much text. But they both ended up looking exactly the same, so I just took one of them. Um, so this is the major prophets, and like really clear, you can tell the word Lord gets used a lot in the prophets. A lot of the times it'll talk about like um, the fear of the Lord or like the Lord declares judgment upon you. Um, people is a huge thing in the prophets because usually the prophets are talking about people, um, talking to a specific people group. Um, you see like the word Jerusalem in there, um, Israel, just so you can just kind of see like, I don't know, I think they're fun. But what I wanted to focus on right now is kind of some of the, the misconceptions about prophets. These are some things like, when you hear the word prophet, I just kind of was like thinking, these are the things that just kind of come to mind right away when you hear it. Um, they're fortune tellers, like someone that can just kind of tell you where you're going to be or what you're going to be doing in the future. Um, they're people who know the future. And I always think of like hooded monks, like someone who's like in a hood, like cloaked, like walking around. So that's kind of like, when I hear the word prophet, that's kind of what I picture. Someone who's kind of dark and mysterious. You don't really know what they're doing or what they're saying. They're just kind of confusing. But in reality, when we're talking about prophets in the Bible, um, this is usually more what it means. The, the prophets are God's mouthpiece. Um, they had a specific message and a specific purpose they wanted to deliver to people. Um, they usually called for repentance. Repentance is one of those words that we throw around a lot, and I want to define it really fast as um, the word literally means to turn around. So what they were saying is you need to turn around from the way that you're acting and go back to God. So usually the prophets, when they are delivering a message to people, they're calling for those people to repent and to go back toward God. Most of the time the prophets are speaking directly to the Israelites, to God's promised people. Sometimes they'll speak to other nations, like Jonah, really famous prophet, most of us know his story, he wasn't talking to Israel. He was talking to the Ninevites, or the people of Nineveh, which is the capital of Babylon. And I'll kind of show you where that's at here in a little bit, too. Um, so these people, they would foretell, foretell God's judgment on the people if they refused to repent. So usually, like, when we're getting to some of the fortune-telling, like, the futuristic kind of stuff, a lot of times it's saying, if you do not repent, if you do not turn away from from the way you've been living your life, 
then this will happen. And a lot of times, those sections in the prophets are really dark and depressing. They're just like, I remember writing a paper in college on Amos, like, 5 through 11. And the whole time I was writing it, I was just really depressed because the whole thing was, then this city's going to get destroyed. Then this city's going to get destroyed. And God's going to tear down this ruler. And I was like, where, where is the hope? Where is the happiness? I just didn't see it. But the hope was in the fact that God gave them the choice to repent. He told them ahead of time what was going to happen, and they could repent. So um, the last kind of reason for the prophets that we have them is they give us the promise of the Messiah, the person that's going to come, that's going to be God in human form, in a body, that's going to walk this world, and he's going to be a king. He's going to reestablish the kingship and make it perfect and then eventually lead us into a new covenant. So that was kind of like the, kind of the purposes, um, who the prophets were. As we move forward, you guys go ahead and make your T-chart on your note cards. Um, and then right away at the top, just like always, the main point of the Bible, which was God's plan to save the world through his son, Jesus Christ. As you guys are writing that, I'm just going to throw some more stuff up on the screen. So we're going to kind of characterize it right here, prophesize kingdom, and the left-hand side, and then God's people, God's place, God's rule and blessing, and then we'll have stuff to fill in kind of with each of that stuff. Um, first thing that I kind of want to say is that, especially with the later phases of the kingdoms that we've been talking about, they overlap with each other. So some of the stuff that we're going to talk about this morning with the prophets are overlapping with what Michael talked about last week. Um, in the beginning, like, you can kind of tell, like, the parish kingdom to the partial kingdom, or, I'm sorry, the first two, the pattern of the kingdom to the parish kingdom is a pretty hard line. You can tell, like, well, Adam and Eve ate the fruit. All of a sudden, they're not in the promised land anymore. There's a pretty hard line of when that phase starts and stops. Where the prophesied kingdom, the prophets, are happening about the same time as a lot of the things that are happening in First and Second Kings, First and Second Samuel. Um, they're just kind of all throughout the rest of the Bible. But what we're doing is we're just looking at the Bible through the lens of the different kingdoms and getting an idea of what it's like to read prophetic uh, literature. So the prophesied kingdom is the books Isaiah through Malachi, and that's kind of like the last half of the Old Testament. Um, here we go. The people of God is the, remi the remnant of Israel, which is kind of hard to say. It's kind of a fun word to say, the remnant. Remnant. Let's try to say it, remnant. So God's people and the prophesied kingdom, whoa, I just, my screen just disappeared, is um, the remnant of Israel, which I'll kind of explain what that means. Um, God's people have been exiled by three different countries. Um, so they're not as strong as what they once were, and their cultures intermingled with other cultures. Do you guys know what it means to be exiled? Yeah, Isaac, what do you think? Yeah, exactly, good work. So when, when a country exiles another country, they take... Okay, so I'll just use... This will be easiest, I think. What does that mean? There we go. Okay, so here's um, the Assyrian Empire. This was the first people that exiled the Israelites. So Israel is like right there. And what they did is when Assyria conquered all of this land, they took the Israelites from this little part of the land, 
and they probably moved them up over in this area somewhere. They wanted to, what they wanted to do was separate the people so they couldn't rebel, and they wanted them to intermingle with the other people to create a completely new culture, which is exactly what God told Israel not to do. God told Israel, do not intermarry with other cultures, and that this is your promised land. So they were uprooted and they were left, and they were forced to intermarry with that. So this is the Assyrian Empire. This is the first people that uh, exiled the Israelites. Here's the Babylonian Empire. That's the second group of people that exiled the Israelites. And then you'll notice up there it says the Median Empire, like the Medes. Just kind of an interesting side note. Sometimes you'll hear like the law, the law of the Medes and the Persians. When like the Medes and the Persians, when they wrote laws, they were like set in stone. Like literally like they hammered it out into stone. You didn't change them. So they were like just really strict, forceful laws. Interesting side note. That's a couple extra cents. So then here's the last place that exiled the Israelites, the Persians. And you can see like they just kind of got a way bigger land mass than the rest of them. It's a real easy way to remember um, the three exiles that happened, because this is kind of important when you're getting into the prophets, is Assyria, Babylon, and Persia, the ABCs. Persia doesn't start with a C, but King Cyprus, who was the king of Persia, does. So A, Assyria, B, Babylon, C, Cyprus, king of Persia. That's how I kind of remember it. It just kind of helps me keep stuff straight in my head. Um, so the people, the, rem, the remnant of Israel. So these people have been scattered and brought back together. Um, they've been exiled three times by the Assyrians, by the Babylonians, by the Persians. And finally, they're allowed to come back to Israel after a lot of time and stuff. So you can imagine that during um, the time that they're exiled, they don't have the temple. Solomon built the temple where they would go and they would worship God. And that temple got destroyed. And the whole time, the people are just despairing. Like, how are we supposed to follow God? How are we supposed to worship God without the temple? But in God's place in the prophesied kingdom is the promise of a new temple. The promise that there's a temple coming. So God's people have been exiled by three different countries. That's the wrong thing. The promise of the temple is fulfilled by Jesus in John 2, 19 through 22. So that's what I want you to write next to it, not that, I'm sorry, that's a mistake. So God's place, the promise of a new temple, and then right next to it in the other column, write this. A new temple is promised and fulfilled by Jesus, and then the scripture that you can go with that is John 2, 19 through 22. And I'm going to go ahead and read that. If you guys have your Bibles, you can open up there, John 19. Or, I'm sorry, John 2, 19 through 22. All right, it says this. Jesus is talking here. He's talking to some Pharisees. It's Jesus, it says, Jesus answered them, Destroy this temple, and I will raise it again in three days. He's talking specifically about the temple that's in Jerusalem that Nehemiah had rebuilt. He says, Destroy this temple, and in three days I will rebuild it. It took the Israelites 70 years to build this temple. And Jesus says he'll rebuild it in three days. What he's talking about there is his body. The new temple that was promised to Israel is the body of Christ. And the fact that he came and he died for us. And we'll talk a little bit more about that. But first, it keeps getting on pause. Can we get to the next slide, please? 
Uh, one more. Uh, the temple one. Yeah, there we go. Okay, so the temple. Let's talk about the temple and what this place is and what it, what it does. This is the place where people would offer sacrifices. Um, this was God's dwelling place. Um, it would be really stressful for the Israelites to not have a temple because they wouldn't have a specific place where they could offer sacrifices. If they couldn't go somewhere to offer sacrifices, they weren't allowed to do it. God was very specific. You need to go to the place appointed to offer sacrifices. Why was offering a sacrifice important? Because if they couldn't offer a sacrifice, they couldn't be atoned for their sin. It was how they were able to repent and what covered them for their sins. So they didn't have a specific place where they could go to do that. But when Jesus came, he fulfilled that where they no longer have to offer sacrifices. Um, so that's kind of important. And then the last section is God's rule and blessing. And in this, we get the promise of a new covenant. And the new covenant came with Jesus Christ. He was the fulfillment of it. Um, the, real quick, I'll just kind of recover. This is what uh, uh, Michael talked about last week. Um, the covenants are a God's promise to man. Um, and then there's three of them, the Noahic covenant, which I think I kind of made that word up. It's Noah's covenant. I don't know. But all the other ones had an IC at the end of them, so I thought I'd throw it in there. Uh, which is Genesis 9, the Abrahamic covenant, Genesis 15, and the Mosaic covenant, Exodus 19 through 24. Those are kind of the, the three covenants that God had given to man. And a covenant's like a really special relationship. We'll probably only ever have a handful of covenant relationships in our lives. Um, the two real famous ones that you guys probably know is number one, our relationship with God is a covenant relationship. And then the second one is usually a man's relationship with his wife. When they get married, they're bound together in a covenant relationship, a promise to be with each other until the end of their days. So those are like just kind of examples of covenant relationships and kind of what that means. They're super important. Um, so the promise of a new covenant, meaning God will have a new way of relating with his people, and that's fulfilled in Luke 22, 20. And that's where Jesus says, I will make a new covenant in my blood. And he takes the cup and he drinks it, kind of like the whole communion thing. So God fulfilled his promise of a new covenant with Jesus coming and being sacrificed on the cross. So that's kind of all I had. What I want you guys to do is you should have a sheet on your chair. Some of you guys in the front rows probably don't have one. I have some extra ones. But I want us to actually practice opening up um, the Bible. And we're going to read something out of Ezekiel. And you'll just kind of see the theme of repentance and kind of what it means. So just take the next couple of minutes, read through this passage, and go through this worksheet. This is the same worksheet that we used last Wednesday night. It's the SOAP method. So if you need one, if I can have a couple of people come and help me hand these out, I'm just take the next couple of minutes to do that, and then Isaac will be up shortly and just lead us in one more song.